Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonica. We're back in the studio. We're back. You're back in the studio. Well, I get to see you in the studio. Your head is giant and in the studio. Shut up, with okay? Me. I, they, they tried to tell me this. I can't fucking handle how big my head probably is in that studio right now. You look great, though. You really you. do look great. Um, I have a, a short anecdote. Um, do you have a Costco near where you live? Are you a member of Costco? I don't have a Costco, but I have like, you know, Walmart and the other big box stores. Okay, I went to Costco yesterday for the first time in like 10 years. You buying baby diapers? Yeah, I got yeah. a membership because I was like, well, oh, it's like a third of the price is everywhere else. Um, <laughs> it is a fucking Mad Max 3 situation. I, I was not prepared for how aggressive everything is in there. Did you have like the pallet pusher? No. Do you know what I mean? Like the super big, um, the, like the super big shopping cart? <laughs> no, but there were a lot of people who were older and more frailer than you would think pushing those things around like they were bulldozers. It was really a trip. Anyway, I can't wait to go back. It's sad though, because I think you missed out on the part of the Costco experience where there used to be a lot of free samples. I know. That makes me sad. Well, hopefully they'll come back at some point. I don't know. We'll see. This week, we're joined by Megan Gailey and Kieran Deal to tackle the following questions. What's going on with the Texas abortion law? What's the cure for main character syndrome? Do we even need a cure? And what host of The View has gotten on Alyssa's bad side? All this and more right now. Okay, we have some sort of loose-endy updates for news today. Um, first, I want to give a quick shout out to Wisconsin and what is going on there with it's the most Wisconsin positive story ever. Um, Minocqua Brewery, which is in Minocqua, Wisconsin, is helping parents sue school districts that lift mask mandates and cause uh, children who go to those schools to get sick. I just think that's a great way to use Wisconsin's drunkenness for good. I couldn't agree more. It's like these poor people, we're doing what we can and they're lifting these mandates and people are getting sick and like the breweries are stepping in to fill the void. I love that like the breweries are like, guys, let's be responsible here. Let's, okay, we're going to get involved. <laughs> it's it's time. Enough is enough. But anyway, Minocqua Brewery, my dad is a big fan of their beers, so it's cool to see them in the news nationally. Go Minocqua. Go Minocqua. Um, Texas abortion update. Alyssa, what what is going on with the Texas abortion ban? Like the chaos state, Aaron. It's the chaos state. So as we have discussed ad nauseum, SB8 was signed into law many weeks ago. Last week, there was an injunction by a federal district court, which briefly halted the law on the grounds that it violated the constitutional right to abortion access. So for a minute, we were like, Okay, good. And people could start, you know, resuming reproductive health care that they need. But then the Fifth Court of Appeals on Friday issued an administrative stay on the previous ruling halting SBA. So it's back in effect. Alyssa, I feel like we need a modern day schoolhouse rock to explain the court system because like, you know, in the 70s, it was like, here's how a bill becomes a law. And that's that's how the law works. And now it's like, no, because our congressional system is so broken that they're not really making laws. Laws are being hashed out in the legislature or in the judicial branch. So, and you know, I have been very honest because I never want our listeners to think 
that I, that I think I'm smarter than I am. <laughs> I find legal rulings very complicated, and it usually requires highlighting. This one I had to write. It was like, what happened? A line with an arrow to the next thing that happened because it was so fucking confusing. Right. And imagine how the people of Texas feel because I think it's pretty fucking confusing. It's like double back, double double plus undo, no backsies type of a like there are so many negations happening that layer on top of each other that I'm like wait a second it's like criminally chaotic it's criminally chaotic and I think that that is kind of by design like the judicial branch is not a democratic branch of government and conservatives are relying on that as their long-term strategy to entrench minority power and it's also really opaque it's kind of hard to get to know um I think when you know, there are moments in laws like the like SB8 where this district judge, uh, judge, I think Robert Pittman is his name, um, when he issues these uh, these rulings where there's a headline about the ruling and people are like, all right, cool, all done. And it's like, right. no, there's always a to be continued. It's like a Fast and Furious movie. There's going to be another one, you know? The franchise oh. goes the franchise is going to go on for like 30 installments. Meanwhile, we only got 3 network seasons of arrested development on TV. I mean, where is the justice in any of that? <laughs> yeah, and it's it is all very undemocratic. I believe that abortion um 75% of Americans think that abortion should be legal. So the fact yeah. that the fact that this is even exists is like deeply undemocratic and uh Anyway, the uh, Supreme Court is not going to be able to dodge this one because I believe by the end of this week, the Biden administration has to respond to the Fifth Circuit's stay on the district judge's ruling. Yes. And once yes. that happens, it'll probably be appealed. To, they'll, they'll get a Fifth Circuit ruling one way or the other. The Fifth Circuit is notoriously hostile to abortion rights. And that will likely be kicked back to the Supreme Court where they can't be like, well, we just don't know who has standing to sue in these cases. Gonna have to take a pass on this one. No passing this time. No. And then really quick, uh, before we move on to the next story, Adam Serwer, the uh, Atlantic writer, mm -hmm. he has a, an incredible takedown of Samuel Alito. If anybody wants a feeling of catharsis among this kind of muckety muck. Um, his latest piece on Samuel Alito is chef's kiss, top to bottom. So if anyone wants some, like, nice Supreme Court ruling reading that won't make them feel bad or hopeless. Or require a Venn diagram. Yeah, we'll put that in show notes because I read it yesterday and then I read it again because I was like, this was delicious. You're like, it wasn't enough the first time. It wasn't enough the first time. There's too much great stuff there. Um Let's talk about some positive developments, though, on the state level, because we've been talking about state politics a lot. California's doing some good stuff. I'm excited to see what's been coming out of California the past couple of days. Yeah, I mean, it, there's some good stuff, there's some bad stuff, but let's start with the good stuff. First, there is a new law on the books in California that makes stealthing illegal. Stealthing is the removal of a condom during sexual activity without the consent of the other partner. So this is a law that will really help anybody who has sex with men, uh, women, gay or straight women, gay men, you know, any anybody who has sex with men can benefit from this law. It was not specifically against the law 
before this. Um, Assemblywoman Christina Garcia, who we, we found out this week is like doing everything in California, <laughs> doing everything. Um, Assemblywoman Christina Garcia um, wanted has been working on this since 2017 um, when she found out that stealthing is a, an increasingly gross occurrence that happens to people who have sex with men. Um, and finally, now it counts as sexual battery, which is which is so much better than what it was before. And you know what I love to say is that we have oftentimes spoken about our love of uh, Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand and Angela Merkel in Germany, two countries where this has been illegal for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Also illegal in Sweden. It is, it, it's rape in Sweden. They've got paid family leave. They understand yeah. what assault is. I mean, what are we doing here? Well, you can't move there in case you're curious because I've looked into it and you can't. Um, They're like, thank you. No, thank you. But at least, you know what? Sweden has its 460 days of paid parental leave that can be used in the first eight years of a child's life after the birth of a child and split between both parents. But at least we have Christina Garcia. <laughs> Thank God. Thank God. She's nonstop. Um, she is also behind a push, a successful push, to require free period products in public schools and colleges throughout the state. It was previously required in low-income public schools, but now it is in all public schools and colleges, free period supplies for everybody who menstruates, and that is wonderful. That is so incredible. I hope they do prisons and stuff next um, Mm -hmm. because that would be great. But, I mean, could you just imagine, I mean, even growing up, the idea that like when you were and granted, this is horse and buggy era shit, but like when you would get your period, be like, oh, my God, I got to go down to the deli and then the deli doesn't have anything. And then you've got to go back to make it back in time for math. And it was like, you know, and now it's just they're just going to go in and they're just going to grab a tampon or a pad. And the funny thing is, is like, why hasn't this been done before? Like, do they think that people are just going to steal fistfuls of tampons? Like, try to live off the state, like, on on tampons. There's only so much you can do with a tampon. Nosebleed (laughs) and your period. Yeah, exactly. It's, like, not really – I mean, leaks. You can fix, like, leaks for a little period of time. You can. You can. And you could potentially take off nail polish, but none of those things require bulk consumption. No, no. And and it's – it always makes me so sad when I'm at, like, a Rite Aid or a Walgreens and I see what is under lock and key – um, it's always like infant formula and diapers and tampons. And it feels so I think it's I think that they're under lock and key because um, like large organized groups that steal from Walgreens, like what's happening in San Francisco. Um, those are things that they steal and try to resell. But it just like makes me so sad to think that those are things that people would shoplift. So it's like what I don't know. I feel like it all should be free. I think it should be free or at least like way, way cheaper. Yeah, way, way cheaper. I also think that if men got their periods, and I know this is a little bit of a hacky joke setup, but if men got periods, tampons would have like loud NFL team branding on it and men would wear them and like on their keychains and stuff. Without question. Yeah. There would not need, there would not be discreet packaging. There would be branded <laughs> like <laughs> tampons what for kind men. Of, New Jersey Jets tampon carrying case. Hell yeah. And everybody would, you know what? I encourage the NFL to do that once they've fixed all the other problems and (laughs) start releasing. So sometime around 2040. Right. They're going to have to really kick up the speed at which they're fixing the problems. But if they do that by 2040, we can have NFL branded 
tampon carrying <laughs> cases where we can put our free tampons courtesy of represent or Assemblywoman Christina Garcia in California. Alyssa, I have a question for you, and I know that Idaho isn't your <laughs> area of expertise, but what's going on in Idaho? Okay. Like, I don't even know how to explain this. So both the governor and the lieutenant governor are Republicans. So that's number one. The lieutenant governor is elected separately, right? Like they don't run on a ticket. Okay. So we're, we've set the ground. But Lieutenant Governor Janice, how do you say her last name? McEachin? McEachin? Sure, sure. The McGeech. The McGeech. Jay McGeech. She, Jay McGeech, waited until Governor Brad Little left Idaho to try, and like she's done this before, but she tries to like undo things he's done by essentially saying that like, she tries to, like, 25th Amendment him. She's like, I am the governor. He's now. out of the state. And so I have assumed responsibilities for the governance of our state. And so she has done some very strange things. She tried to roll back a mask mandate not that long ago. But this past week, if I understand correctly, the state had prohibited requiring or issuing proof of COVID vaccinations for state agencies. But she decided to say that it had to apply to universities and public K through 12 schools too. And Governor Little was like, bitch, please, when he came back. But it is the strangest. She's like, literally, Donald Trump, can you see me? Donald Trump, can you feel me? Like, it is so gross and just... And it's like, girl, get some dignity. It's more Republican pick meism, and it's very embarrassing to watch. It's uh, it's like Christy the Clown gnome redux, sort of. It is, except this woman doesn't even have power. She's just like, she envisions herself as like Rudy at the end of the movie Rudy, and she's like the opposite. Right. You know what it reminds me of? Um, do you remember uh, like the, the home makeover shows like in their prototypical days like when they were low yeah. budget do you remember the one where it was like they swapped houses every oh trading spaces yes with Paige the host yes yes and yes. you're doing the thing with your hair I did I was trying to make her bangs for you so you'd know who I was talking about yeah and there would be like neighbors who switched houses and would remodel a room with the help of a designer uh, you mean Genevieve Goiter or Vern Yip? Of course I remember that show. It was like it, my entry, it was my entry point into cable TV. It was, I was obsessed with that show. But this sort of reminds me of the episode of Trading Spaces where, um, like, remember when they made the room brown and the pillows brown and stuff and the people came back and were really, really mad about it? I mean, that happened in a lot of episodes, but yes. <laughs> yes. So Lieutenant Governor Janice McEachin is essentially like a, a bad house sitter who you come back and you're like, why is this an open floor plan now? This is yes. a Victorian home. Anyway, she should internalize that comment. OK, it should hurt her deeply. <laughs> it should, because if she doesn't know what I'm talking about, maybe that's what's wrong with her. <laughs> um, OK, I think that's all we have for news today. Do we need, do we need to add any stories or anything like that? Do we have any stories? Oh, you know what? I have a little tiny toast. OK. Just because we were talking about California. I just want to shout out New York. The New York Public Library is getting away with late fees. Ooh. Isn't that good? Because it's like, who are you really penalizing? People who want to go to the library and, and reserve a book. And it's like, just stop. And mm -hmm. so anyway, they are finally stopping. I was like, California's crushing it this week. What did New York do? And I was like, oh, the public libraries. That's a good thing. The New York Public Library system is a wonder of the city. And I'm 
shocked that more people don't spend more time in the libraries there. Like, they're just gorgeous buildings, but they just have everything, and librarians are awesome, and it's just... It's a fun place to be if you live in the city. Also, it's free. You can just, like, go there and be, and you don't have to spend money. And for people of a certain age, they'll remember that it's where Carrie Bradshaw got jilted at the altar. That's true. And Charlotte had gave the best, like, best friend defending face don't ever. Don't you dare. No. How dare no. you? I knew you would do this. And that was actually Carrie when she was hitting it with the bouquet, but still. And Charlotte went, no. No. She did. It was so good. It redeemed everything obnoxious that Charlotte did in the entire series up to that point. Yeah, because she was legit pissed. Yeah. Before that, she was legit obnoxious. So, um, okay, well, that's the news for this week. We're going to take a quick break, but before we do, we're coming up on Halloween. You guys know we love holidays around here. We're going to do a show on ghosting, and we want to hear from you. So listeners, if you have a story of being ghosted that is phenomenally great or phenomenally holy shit, send us a 30-second voice memo to hysteria at crooked.com. Also, if you want to get in touch with us over social media like Twitter, just use the hashtag hysteria. I know a lot of you guys do that, um, but we look at that hashtag and have fun replying sometimes. So get in touch however you feel appropriate. And welcome back. Alyssa, I bet you have an answer to this question. Do you have a song mm. that you listen to when you're feeling like the main character? I do. What is it? <laughs> okay. It's Roll Me Away by Bob Seger. <laughs> <laughs> sample. Sample. And here's why. In the movie Armageddon, which you all fucking know I love, yeah. it's like, one of the guys is on a motorcycle driving through a field when they play that song. And so whenever I hear it in my head, I picture myself like on a motorcycle mm -hmm. going through the field. You so there been, you go. You roll, roll me away. You would have been great in Armageddon. <laughs> I would have watched. A motorcycle going through. The, I mean, do you have a song? Like, do you ever put on headphones when you're walking around in New York City? Do you have a song yeah. that you put on that you're like, this is my, is that the song? Are you like, I'm motorcycling through it's, the sidewalk? No, that's, there's, that, that song would be more the song uh, Native New Yorker by the group Odyssey. It's an old song from the 70s. Whoa, I'm a native New Yorker. That one. <laughs> and in my head, I'm Mary Tyler Moore and I'm just like walking down, you know, Greenwich Street. That's a real complicated set of geographic facts because she was yeah. supposed to be in Minneapolis but the but it was shot mostly in LA I think the exterior and, and then I brought her to Tribeca and then you made her a New Yorker <laughs> she poor lady probably has jet lag all the time um really excited for the conversation on main character syndrome today not only because we're in the studio because it's kind of a OG hysteria reunion in oh. the studio um Kieran Deal is here Kieran, um, you have more tour dates coming up. Tour dates, October 27th, Wednesday uh, in Boston and November 7th. I'm headlining Dynasty, which is here in Los Angeles. Oh, nice. I know. So come if you guys are, you know, if you're not with uh, with child. I mean, bring your child. And, and Dynasty. <laughs> bring your babies, newborn baby babies, with no babies all of comedy, guys. Dynasty is being safe, too. Vaxxed and masked. Ooh. Yes. Just put it on a boob. 
<laughs> Call I mean, it a day. I feel like a newborn baby is more well-behaved than like an eight-month-old baby. A hundred percent. Because newborn babies just sleep and like don't know where they are. And eight-month-old babies are like, I need stimulation. Blah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the baby will probably be here and I will not be leaving my house for, <laughs> for like two months. But the Boston show sounds awesome and yeah. the L.A. show also sounds awesome. And we will shout it out in show notes. Right, Caroline? <laughs> Great. Um, we also have Megan Gailey here. <gasps> Megan, can you explain what's going on in the NFL right now? Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Honestly, not a lot of good. Um, a lot of bad. And I have to say the NBA is saying, knock, knock. We'd like to throw in some bad shit of our own, too. Right. It's been a wild 48 hours. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. I was talking to Josh about that, the NFL stuff this morning. like the John, John Gruden, Gruden, yes. And, like, I was explaining to him that, like, when you're somebody who is not a white dude mm-hmm. in an industry surrounded by white dudes, you always have in the back of your head this idea that they're just gaslighting you and they actually hate yeah. you. And, like, the Gruden emails is kind of like, yeah, they do. Yeah. They're just a bunch of middle-aged, pudgy, visor-wearing guys at a Mastro's Steakhouse talking shit about everyone who isn't a white guy. And it's really complicated because at the time that these emails, most of them were written, he was an employee of ESPN, and now ESPN is the one reporting on it. And, mm. you know, there's also people reporting on it that it's like, I've read about you. You know, like, it's it's like, who, is there actually anyone that's not evil that can report on this right now? And so far I have Mina Kimes. Mina Kimes, Yes. I can. Yes. We can listen to her, and Keyshawn Johnson called him a used car salesman, and so that was pretty I fun too. I want to hear from Katie Nolan. That's the one of the people I want to hear yeah. from on this. But I think I think ESPN knew this was coming and said we got to get Katie out of here before this happens. Yeah. For those listeners who might not be familiar with the intricacies of foot game, yeah, uh, <laughs> it's it's shit talking. It has it's, nothing to do with the sport itself. Mm-hmm. It's a bunch of important people in the structure of the league talking shit about. Everyone, Everyone gay people, people of color, women. um, In emails. In emails. And it all actually came to the surface because Daniel Snyder, who is the owner of the Washington football team, is being investigated. But (laughs) none has... Like, he's one of the most horrific people on the planet, and I hope this also leads to him being stripped of his ownership. That would be cool. But this is—John Gruden so far has just been collateral damage in the Daniel Snyder chaos. This is going to be like a—like— It's a reckoning. Yeah. This is like it's a, a soft reckoning. It's like, soft reckoning. Yeah. It could end up to be like the NFL's Watergate, though. Like, there's one little thing, and you're like, whoa, that guy went down. Now it seems like all of these other people are kind of being brought in, and it's bigger than it yes, seems. Yes, like, um, he was the—this is the last thing I'll say. John Gruden was the head coach of the Tampa Bay Bucks when they won a Super Bowl, not last year— a long time ago and so he is in their like ring of honor and they stripped him of that honor yesterday and you know we're pretty proud of themselves um they do have a player on their team Antonio Brown who has very credible sexual assault allegations against him and he will be playing Sunday um so they're you know they're they're picking and choosing who they are reprimanding at this point yeah there's some moral uh like uh, unevenness going on. Sounds like that Supreme Court, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Interestingly enough, we did talk a little bit about the Supreme Court, and uh, I think Samuel Alito, we can all agree, is the worst justice. 
Yeah, I think he's worse than Clarence Thomas. Anyway, we can talk about that more on another day. NFL, Supreme Court, we've got it all. WNBA, good. WNBA is good. Top to bottom, hard to find one bad thing. So just if you don't want to look into the sun and burn your eyes, just look to the WNBA and be constantly impressed. I'm also really excited for the National Women's Soccer League to have have its L.A. team because I really want to, when my kid is here, I'm already planning like years in advance. I'm like, we're going to have season tickets to a sport because I think it's like I remember going to sporting events when I was a kid and it was so much fun. Mm. But I don't want to take them to soccer team to soccer games where the men are playing because they just get too rowdy. And they're not that good. They're not. No, it's not that good. Anyway, NWSL, really excited about it. Okay, let's talk about main character syndrome slash main character energy. Um, Alyssa, I'm going to start with you because you're farthest away and I want you to feel like the main character. Okay. What do you consider main character syndrome and main character energy and is it inherently good or bad? Okay. So there was someone who I used to work with who when he would speak in group meetings, I would lean over to Pfeiffer and be like, He's literally starring in the episode of The West Wing that he has created in his own brain right now. Barack Obama. It was Barack Obama. (laughs) It was. No, Barack Obama would roll his eyes at this person. But it was like there is someone who I feel like in order to exist has to be the star of their own show every day. And I find that tedious. Like. That's just my that's my that's my personal feeling. It can be a helpful delusion. Yeah. I think sometimes when you're like, "Ugh, I don't want to do anything." You're like, "Oh, let's pretend that this matters." <laughs> it's sort of like, well, I think it's it's like imagining yourself as somebody that is being watched by people that care about them or being like followed by people that care about them. I think in its most like malignant form, it is someone who kind of sucks the energy out of every room because they need to have all eyes on them. But I think that what Kieran was saying is a really good point where it's like, if you're doing a bunch of stuff that is harmful, you think, what if somebody who was rooting for me were watching me right now? Like, what? how would I behave? It's sort of like when you're about to have guests at your apartment, how you clean it to a level that it's never really clean. Yeah, or isn't it a version of like reality television or social media in a way? Because it's a, it's a curated... It's a curated set of images where where it's centered on how you want to present identity. I mean, I think that's probably like why it's become an a, a quote unquote issue in our generation is because we all are the main character of our social media. So there is a platform where we are the Mary Tyler Moore and all we have to do is open multiple different apps. Like I'm not fully convinced that you guys didn't pick me to do this topic as an intervention <laughs> for me <laughs> because I so clearly have this and I'm like nodding like, mm-hmm, okay, yes, no, this is all of the like narcissistic qualities that, that, I exhibit that I almost think social media has sometimes do you ever look at someone's full Instagram like not like and it's like oh my god it's every photos of them or there's people and every photo is of a beach or is like photography based and sometimes I even look at my own to be like oh we gotta switch it up a little bit you know like we gotta throw some mom and dad in there some husband because you do start to be like oh wow I'm I'm center stage a little too much. So why are you self-conscious about that? 
I because I didn't know that this was a thing until I got the outline sent to me. <laughs> uh, so main character syndrome slash energy is sort of a meme mm-hmm. in both in two different spheres that have sort of collided with each other. And one of those spheres is like uh, self help, like you go girl, girl boss podcast type places. <laughs> There's so many episodes of different podcasts that I've never heard of before talking about, like, you are the main character, be the main character. And then there's this other place where main character energy is where it is a subject of mocking. Like, uh, there's a Reddit, I am the main character subreddit, where it captures people behaving in ways where they're clearly really self-absorbed in their own stardom, sort Mm -hmm. of. And it looks very funny. And then there's, you know, main character energy TikTok, where it's sort of less brutal toward the people exhibiting main character energy. People are a little bit more making fun of themselves. But it's like, on one hand, main character energy is something that seems to be encouraged. And on the other hand, something that's like very discouraged. Um, Alyssa, I wonder if, like, when we were kind of going over materials for this week's episode, there is a article that says, sorry, Gen Z, Nancy Myers invented, invented main character energy in 2006. Do you think this type of self-absorption and, like, projected narcissism was invented in 2006? No, I'm going to go with no. I'm, I think it's been around for a very long time. Though I do think if you go back in the Nancy Meyer movies, you're like, okay. If you're having a hard time identifying main character energy, you can see it there. Mm-hmm. I have, you know, when I started in entertainment, it was like, I felt like one of the highest things you could aspire to was the ethnic best friend. (laughs) Because, you know, just in from a casting point of view, it was like you would only see the that there were no like, even if you think on a show like Never Have I Ever, that's like the very first time that it's like a South Asian, a young South Asian girl who's a lead of a television show that got like plucked that just didn't that it's the, really the first time that it's happened in in American television. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, I thought that was interesting. I was like, oh, I remember kind of being like, oh, it'd be great to be the sidekick just in a professional setting, mm-hmm. which I don't know if that's relevant because this is about your real life. And well, they all blend to me. <laughs> well, that's, that's a really interesting point. Like when people talk about main character energy, do you think there's like a racial component to it? I mean, it. I think what it, it did make me think that like, I know that, and I'm sure you guys felt a version of this too. It's like when I grew up, it's like I'm watching movies that largely starred white guys. And I always saw myself, like my dad watched Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And it was like, I remember being like really confused that the people, like the the ethnic people, like both recognizing that they look like me and they're eating hearts, but then also and being like, that's kind of fucked up, like kind of recognizing it. But then also my dad loving the movies because he saw himself as like Indiana and then later being like, yo, you know, that people see you as the Temple of Doom. Right. And it's like they see you as the t-. And he's like, no, but I have the hat. You know, it's, <laughs> it's just like I think we have a habit of like making our, you know, when you're watching something, the empathy, right. Of like, you're Matt Damon in Goodwill Hunting, mm-hmm. you know, like we, or it's like, if you're reading a novel, you are the, the, the person who's going through the things. So I wonder if that's part of the reason why women or minorities, it's like, there's a lot of empathy for like, when you're go- going into someone else's story, because you've been required to do that in content, your entire existence. Mm-hmm. I, I, 
to piggyback that, like, I enjoy friend characters so much more now. Like, and, and maybe that's just from writing, too, is, like, the f- the first time I wrote a pilot, I was the main character. And the second time, I was like, no, I kind of want to be the drunk best friend. Like, yeah. that's, um, and some of it just maybe like, that's an easier schedule. But it is like, <laughs> oh, that's, like, a more fun, that person's allowed to be much more 360. And the people that we put on the pedestals are not traditionally allowed to have these negative flaws that regular people obviously have. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how much the protagonist, like, can't be flawed thing translates into people like Alyssa's old coworker who has decided that they are the unflawed protagonist. Like, what were some symptoms that this person exhibited of, that, are, that you think are, like, textbook main character Sort energy? of this very, um, like, very dramatic storytelling you know like making the point standing up using the words almost almost in some and I've seen this in other people too you can tell they've rehearsed what they're saying somewhat in their brain right and and it is and they're also waiting for a response right like I rarely say something and wait for a response like that there's going to be some you know oh my god Alyssa you're brilliant of course you're right like no that doesn't happen but that's a slow yes, clap. It's like, exactly. It's like you stand up and it's just pause like Pause for applause. Pause. And then it's just like the room just starts. Oh, man. You know what? It just occurred to me, not to interrupt you because I want to I continue to hear more about this person, but that's why I hate the moth. And it's why I don't like watching congressional, like planned congressional debates because it's all main character energy rehearsed monologuing shit. This is hilarious. You just compared the moth and the other. <laughs> what, what did you say? The congressional, congressional hearings, hearings and the moth. Yeah. It's, One of which is a personal is storytelling like show. Because in the in the moth, nobody starts a story by saying like that was the night I drank more than I'd ever drank in my life. You start a story yeah. the way you way you talk. That's not how people talk. They're read they're they're rehearsing memorized short stories where they're the main character and like I guess like in Congress it's a little bit more removed because it's not always like I'm the main character but it's like I I anticipate being made the 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 main character in clips that will be used in Mm -hmm. my ads and it'll be on the news and I'll be the main character there and I'm gonna always I'm gonna be the main character so it sounds a lot of monologuing Mm -hmm. in ways that feel like Sorkin. A lot of yeah. Sorkin-esque. There's like a posture to it. You know, like sometimes they take their glasses off. Um, <laughs> is there a lack of authenticity yes. that you guys are also picking yes. up on? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it's like, I mean, I've seen clips of AOC go viral from the things, but it's like, and I see people share them. Or it's like Michaela Cole at the Emmys. I see people share it. What's the difference between that resonance of a moment in a speech when somebody is monologuing versus the... Well, there's maybe well, being I... there's maybe being a main character in the moment and aspiring to it daily. Do you know what I mean? Yes, yeah. it can't. Every day can't be an aha, you know. And these people like try to have their Sorkin esque aha. I probably do this too. Clearly, I've you haven't been watching you. enough Oprah. <laughs> everybody is like everybody Every thinks they're gonna do the like have you no decency, sir? Like they're gonna be that person in like, you know, Washington or whatever. Mm-hmm. And like, or they think they're going to be, Mika- the thing about like Michaela Cole's speech. Oh, and that man that went before her. Oh he God. thought he was going to be Michaela Cole. He was yeah. the opposite. <laughs> yeah. I bet he was like, this is going to 
kill. (laughs) (laughs) But it's like, I think Mm. that the difference is that there's a sort of, like a veneer of inauthenticity where like I felt like Michaela Cole was legitimately trying to connect to people and the connection was the point of what she was doing. Mm-hmm. Like she was trying to communicate instead of trying to perform. Right. And so there's an ego, you're looking for kind of like an egolessness, an authenticity and an actual connection. And that right. is that is what you find resonant. Yeah. And and, and like even in, in her example, I'm remembering like she did have notes. Like it was like, oh, this isn't, Sometimes I think when someone seems nervous or when like in stand up, it's like I really like when you can tell that it's like, oh, this doesn't feel as rehearsed, even if it is rehearsed. We're saying the same things. But if someone can still be in the moment, it ends up being like, oh, I really like feeling like I'm part of this one time. The the discovery. It's like trying to get that feeling of the discovery. Even though it's fake. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I was just, but is a real main character then somebody who, if like in the positive sense, is it somebody who's connecting authentically? Yes, and that's the thing about being the main character. If you're trying for it, you're not it. It's like being classy or like (laughs) being funny or being laid back. If you have to like communicate that that's what you are, you are not that thing. Like, you know, I, when I was doing, when I was online dating, um, like a few years ago, I remember it just automatically not, not, nope, swipe left, swipe, left is the bad. Yeah. yeah, left is bad. Um, <laughs> left I, is the bad. My brain does Right is good, right? <laughs> you know what? As right a, is correct. As a left-handed person, I find that implication to be offensive. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I automatically swiped left on men who called themselves laid back. No, you're not. You're not. You're not laid back. If you call, if you have to tell me you're not laid back, um, or if you have a you have a good sense of humor, no, you don't. This was reminding me a lot. <laughs> I love the way Megan was like, I am the main character every day. And I was like, Are you listening to this? <laughs> I am. Are no, you I listening? No. And she was taking but taking Megan, notes. Yeah, when I hear sense Megan of humor, would, I'm like, God. Megan would never be like, I'm really funny and mean it seriously. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, no. There's you always have a um, this was reminding me a lot of wedding planning um, because you hear like Cinderella syndrome and I'm like, oh, I think some of it too is because I know when I was when I was like, you know, doing my hair and makeup trials and they would do it, I'd be like, yeah, this looks good. And they were like, do you have any tweet? And it's like, I am lucky enough that I get to have my hair and makeup done um, professionally. And so I know this isn't going to be the last moment of my life where I get to feel pretty. Mm. Um, And not that that is, but it's like, I think so much gets put into the wedding because you are the main character that day. And it gives a lot of people, men and women, attention and the center of it all that they're not necessarily used to. Caroline, I remember when your sister got married and you were like, oh my God, she talked to me. Like it was like, (laughs) it's like being, you know, like when the bride looks at you on her day, you're like, ah, oh my God, Beyonce. I, yeah, like, I didn't expect to, it, I, I didn't are, expect to make the cut. Yeah, and yeah. I think the come down from that for a lot of people is really difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like an industry, and the industry, the wedding industry is a sort of main character industry yeah. because it's like manufacturing the place in which you will be the main character. Here, we're making the set for you. We're getting your hair and makeup we're done. giving we're doing- you a first look. Yeah. I, I think of it more because I, I think of it less in the Sorkin sense and I think of it more as a rom-com, like hmm. the Nancy Myers rom-com. It's like, it's Julia Roberts to me in whatever Runaway she's in, Bride. you know? Oh, Runaway Bride. Um, 
I was going to say, do you think, though, that there's like a gendered aspect to it? And those two things are not that different. They're two sides of the same coin. And Sorkin sure. gets awarded for making characters that are men that are the main character. And like female directors or like shows, movies that are watched by women are thought of as like silly and they're marginalized because of like all the main yeah. character energy. Despite the fact that we all love them, like regardless of their flaws, we I, I fucking love Runaway Bride. It's. Not a good movie, but I love it. Yeah, or Sex in the City. It's like so much of the, the world around dating and romance. Like that is a place where you're like, you were saying the wedding thing, Gailey, but it's like the extension of that would also just be dating in general because it's like you're going, you know, there's just so much content around that. So I wonder if that also can play into this idea of the protagonist. I think that goes looking back. Looking for love. Mm-hmm. That goes love. back to... Um, what you were saying about social media, I believe, Kieran, about like Instagram and stuff. Alyssa, you and I have had conversations about people. And I don't want to blow your spot up right now, but we've talked about people who on Instagram try to take on this like voice and persona that is like mm. this weird disconnected from reality. Totally. Like I'm a I'm a Mormon housewife. It's like, no, you're not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's it's this weird like imitation of an influencer prototype that they've seen, and it's like Mm -hmm. the writing is deliberately bad. The filter's really blown out. Yeah, have you, like, so without giving away who we're talking about, can you kind of go into that, what that looks like and how that feels? When you know that you have a normal friend who has lots of wonderful qualities, who has seen something themselves on Instagram that they want to emulate, that they think they will get more followers if they're like this person, that they will somehow be a better version of themselves. And all of a sudden, every photo's airbrushed. Like the person you know who was always in sweats and just a good time to hang out with is just like, is is literally everything about the photo is so contrived to make them this main character that they then want other people to emulate. And I think that that's like seeing that, Aaron, knowing exactly what we're talking about, is like, you know what? Make me a fucking sidekick until the end of time. It is so much less stressful. You get to just like live your best life and no one's like, I don't like, that's why I never had a wedding. I couldn't have people look at me. It was too fucking stressful. I was like, this is just put me, put me back, put me back in the, you know, behind the curtain like they used to in tap dance and in the fourth grade when they were like <laughs> you are literally on a television screen that we are all staring at right now <laughs> okay and now you look Karen my face got red are you happy no you look beautiful oh, no <laughs> you look your skin looks great glowing you're glowing honey anyway, your skin looks great that's I think that's I mean I think that like what you're saying is it's weird because a lot of the people that are doing it are maybe they're doing it for followers but for sometimes sometimes it's like maybe that's what they think I mean, the medium is. Maybe I'm also like, are you guys talking about me? I know, I know. And no. I love the way as comics, as comics, we're we both like, have... I mean, guys, it's like, that's how you sell tickets. No, no, no. You know? Like, I feel like both of you, see, the, here's no, the thing. If you're worried, if you're worried that you're doing that, right. you're probably not that. Like the other, the other week I was during a therapy appointment, I was like, I was reading about narcissism and I was like, yeah. am I a narcissist? And she's like, if you're worried that yes. you're a narcissist, you're, you're not. Pr- that is... The main symptom of not being a narcissist is like worrying about how your actions impact other people. Um, I feel like with some of these people who have like used social media as a way for them to manifest their desire to be like the main character, I kind of want to know like to what end though, because a lot of these people have to know that they're never going to be mega viral celebrities, you know, like... 
you know, you have 300 followers. Not that that matters. It does not matter whatsoever. But why aren't you just being yourself to the 300 followers, most of whom you went to high school with and know what you really look like? You know, like, I don't understand. Is it a desire to kind of make yourself into something better that you never could be in real life and be like, this is my making an avatar for yourself, sort of like playing The Sims with your real life? <laughs> it is. I think it's a curation. Yeah. I, I, like you, the thing to remember is that social media, like I, I see it in some of my like very close friends. I will look at a very close friend's Instagram. Like some of my friends have like a lot of followers and they whatever. And, and I look at it and I was like, man, their life looks amazing. Like truly, I know the shit that is going on in that person's life and what is wrong. But if I look at their social media, I'm like, wow, I am tricked mm -hmm. knowing the reality. So that projection, I think it's pretty um, seductive. Mm -hmm. Well, what do you think about people? Because I think some sometimes people airbrush bad times that they're going through. And so it's almost like if they were to look back on their life through their social media, all of the bad parts would be erased. Then there are other people that kind of like clout whore every bad thing that happens to them mm. and that feels like a different type of main character energy like i remember this is i'm gonna sound like a real fucking bitch yes. but guys remember <laughs> i i really i really hate uh tragedy clout whoring so like the the biggest one was when Notre Dame Cathedral caught on fire and everyone who had ever taken a picture in front of Notre Dame oh, yeah. where they looked really cute mm -hmm. posted it and it was like Ugh, mm -hmm. I hate this. It's sort of the I think it's like the, when celebrities die. Yeah, and it's and, like and it's like every celebrity that's died was your favorite? Yeah, <laughs> right. You know, like I'm like shares my favorite. You'll know. You know, like yeah. it's like there's definitely people that died that I'm like, whoo, gosh, the. But yeah, it's um. Yeah, Monica Hess, who's a Washington Post columnist, great writer, um, I, years and years ago wrote a column about like using celebrities as a way to like draw attention to your like celebrity deaths to be like, oh, that reminds me, me. <laughs> um, she was like, I think a line in that piece was like, in a way, Cher was my mom. You know, like mm -hmm, that's a right. sort of kind of a weird cloud chasing thing. Alyssa, what do you make of people kind of using every bad thing that has ever happened like to get attention? Is that part of main character syndrome or is that just a separate it's thing? It's like the it's like as we were saying, it's like the Munchausen's flip side of main character energy, right? It's like it's like you want attention so badly that you're willing to trot out every terrible thing and probably embellish it to some extent of what's happened to you. And it's like I just I couldn't I couldn't imagine doing that either. That just made me hot. I mean, like I think so carefully about anything that I put on social, like good or bad. Like last week, I had a friend who passed away, and it was really sad. And we wanted to make sure that people knew about the services. I and mean, you're like, but like, what do I, it took like a group. I had to like see my friend in person, my best girlfriend to be like, what do we post? Cause we can't make it about us, but we want people to know. And so I think that like a lot of people don't have those conversations about like what they're posting and how it's going to make other people feel, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And like, I think all, 
all PR is good PR has been attributed to people's personal lives yeah. too. Mm-hmm. To be like, listen, attention's attention. And like I've said it, and I worry about this too as someone who like speaks pretty openly about having an abortion of like, I know there's people that think I'm glorifying my abortion um, for attention when it's really like, oh, I'm just trying to say like, hey, I'm this girl and I had an abortion. And if that makes you feel like more at ease that you had one and you see, that's really what I'm trying to do. But there's definitely, yeah, there's just things that are, you know, quote unquote, sad things that if you put out there, it definitely can seem like you're trying to get whatever PR you're trying to get. But if you do that for every single thing, then it's like, well, then, you know, that's a pattern. I found that, you know, but even off this pod, it's like you're there was at least to me, there was like an authenticity in the way that you told that. I remember being here when you kind of shared, you know, the story about that with your abortion. And it's like, there's also something powerful about the personal, you know, just being able to relate to something really personal in somebody. And it's like not just it to me that struck me as like you're like, oh, there's this issue that's about female bodies that's out there. But like, here's how it affected me as a human being. That's like you're talking to and looking in their face. So that I mean, but maybe that again is a question about authenticity. And maybe that isn't up to you to decide how someone's going to interpret it. Only you really know your intention. And and I think it's upbringing too. You know, there's people that are like, still like, you don't talk about money, politics or religion. And it's like, those are my favorite things to talk. You know, like I went to a a person's place this, I ask everyone what they pay in in rent or what they're, you know, it's just, and if they don't want to tell me, I go look it up. Um, Because it's like the LA market, it's just, it's like crazy. In New York, you did it. Like it's just sort of normalized, I think in the places that, but there's a lot of people that are very, very uncomfortable with that. And I think it's like, oh gosh, I don't want them to think that I'm like some, all I want to do is talk about money. I'm just genuinely fascinated in how much things cost in different parts of the city. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that if you ever had to struggle and you lived in an expensive city, it's something that's like, you never can kind of wash it out of your head. Even when you get to a point where you're, you feel like you're in a place where you're not like writing the rent check and turning it in at 5.01 p.m. because you're waiting for a check to clear into your account so that you can pay your rent. Like even when you're past that point, like if you've ever been there, it's sort of always it's sort of always there. It's sort of indelible. I, You know, Megan, you brought up abortion. And I think another thing like during my pregnancy, I've talked about it a lot. I write about it. I have a newsletter about it. And I think one part of main character energy is a refusal to understand, like main character energy, the the kind that we're making fun of, is a refusal to understand that some people might not want to hear it from you. Mm -hmm. And like, especially when it comes to like, I have so many friends who have been through infertility and loss and like tough pregnancies that were like traumatic and I, you know, writing about my own life and my own experience, every week I have to be open to the fact that somebody who I care about a lot might just not want to fucking hear it from me. And that is fine. Like, I'm not putting it out there to shove anything down anybody's throat. I just think that when it comes to reproductive choices that we make, whether that's to have children, to not have children, to terminate pregnancies, to pursue IVF, whatever you choose, I feel like that journey has been made very lonely, no matter what the journey is, by a society that wants p- 
people to feel to, that, that isolates women, that keeps us from like forming communities and commiserating over stuff. So I feel like some of the things that we talk about are like really good in community building. Like I think the abortion conversation, I never see someone talking about their abortion and I'm like, bitch, you think you're clout chasing. chasing. <laughs> it's like you think the only time someone talking about abortion was clout chasing was when like Lena Dunham said that she wished Wish she, she had, had an had abortion. One, yeah. I was like, you do not as somebody. It's like you can only get knocked up and have one, you know, like you can girl. It's like saying, I wish I had an appendectomy. No, you don't. It's a medical procedure that most people would, most people wish that medical intervention wasn't necessary no matter what the medical intervention was. But regardless, I this is like a long way to bring up a point that like it's okay to express yourself and talk about your personal life in a way that is like maybe exploiting your personal life because I get paid to write about this mm -hmm. stuff. But it's also with the intention of helping other people feel like they're part of something, you know, or like you talking about your abortion, Megan, is like you want people to feel comfortable with the fact that a lot of people choose to do it. And it's not, you know, you have an experience that is is valid that you've lived through and you're happy with your life now. Like there's, you know, it's it's not, I don't think, I think that main character energy is very self-indulgent. And I don't think that like exposing yourself to criticism is self-indulgent. Maybe there's two versions of it even, you know, like there's like the main character. I think it's like, it, that is main it, it, that's technically being the main character of your own narrative or taking ownership but that can also maybe involve initiative like you were saying there's a positive take on the main character energy and then there's like the negative take on reddit and maybe what you're delineating between are the the two sides of that coin and it's okay to sometimes be you know it's like if if there's good and bad i definitely have this it's like sometimes i'm bad i'm the bad side of it and that's what makes me gravitate to wanting to be the best friend and stuff too of just being like yeah I'm a flawed person that's but that's okay it's a, it's a journey also fundamentally Aaron what you're talking about is you write your experience and people can relate to it or they cannot relate to it and you're but you're not writing it so that people read it and want to be you you're not writing it so people are like you don't you are not perfectly posed with some fucking sponsored shit on where you're like look you can have a perfect pregnancy and be like it's like you're writing your true experience and people can they can be entertained by it they can learn from it but they're not you're not writing it for the purpose of being adored and put up on a pedestal. And I think that's kind of the difference in that the main character, someone who's really acting out their main character energy wants all eyes on them. And for only, only, only in a way that people are like coveting whatever it is they have, they say, or they're doing. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of, do you remember the, uh, the fire festival documentaries yeah. mm -hmm. and they, there was like one part where they cut between a bunch of influencers who are like, I'm all about positivity. I'm all about positivity, which I can also consider a red flag because it's like, oh, you can't take criticism. <laughs> uh, you're all about positivity because you can just tune out whenever something isn't serving you and nothing bad will happen to you. That's all about positivity. But I think you're right about the, the criticism thing. It's like a part of main character syndrome. It's like, I want to be ad adored. And if you don't adore me, there's something wrong with you. Right. Rather than there's something wrong with me. Um, okay. So I want to wrap this conversation up so we can get to, I feel petty because I feel like this is going to be a, a barn burner, uh, <laughs> given all the stupid shit that's been going on. Um, Alyssa. So I'm, I don't want to pick on you, but do you think that we are in an era where, 
being selfish or being the main character is like worse than it's ever been? Or was there an era in the past where it was worse? Or is it kind of a stable thing? I mean, I think it's stable. I think social media has made it a lot worse, right? Because you can, even if you're nobody else's main character, like Megan was saying, you can be your own main character all day long. And you can sit there in front of your phone and take 500 pictures or re- redraft the uh, comments that you're going to leave on your Instagram or delete your TikTok and redo it and redo it so that you can come off as the exact version of yourself that you want. And I think that it's easier now because there's technology. Yeah, but there's not technology still to edit out pictures on Instagram with people in them. Um, <laughs> I the, I think main character energy infects Instagram really badly um, there's a lot of, a lot of times I use Instagrams to relax. I don't want to look at people that make me feel like I'm not doing enough. So I'll like, I, I love, I love place Instagram. So like hashtag, uh, I don't know enough about traveling in, in beautiful places in Mexico that aren't like American resort towns. So for a while I was travel, I was following like the Mexico hashtag. So many butts. There are too <laughs> many, like, it would be like a beautiful waterfall and then like a woman, and her butt. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, can I? Yeah. I don't, I'm, I'm not, can I exclude hashtag butts <laughs> from this? Megan, do you think that, that main character syndrome, main character energy is worse now or just in a new manifestation? I think it's in a new manifestation, but I do love listening to fellow Hysteria um, member Dana Schwartz, her podcast, Noble Blood. And when they have letters and when you read letters from the Civil War, it's like, oh, these people definitely thought they were the main character. <laughs> like, they are writing prose in a way that is so dramatic that I think we're just in our own specific version of what it is right now with bad captions. But bad captions existed, existed probably via, even B.C., you know? Via carrier pigeon. <laughs> yeah. My dearest Abigail. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's really funny. So if there was a, a Civil War era podcast where people just talked oh. into to empty teacups or whatever. because Tin cans. And Tin I cans. eat them up. Oh, my gosh. You put a shock and farewell over it. I'm like, this is the best letter I've ever read. <laughs> so that's going to be happening in 200 years. A you know? shock and farewell? Yeah, it's this gorgeous. It's the. Have you ever seen the Ken Burns Civil War documentary? It's the main song of that. Do I do I own the soundtrack to that? Yes, I do. <laughs> do, you, do you listen to it when you jog? No, yes, I, I do not. Yes, I do I not. Do. But when I jog, I do pretend people are watching me, so I will run better, and that is main character. Character energy. Oh, okay, that's that. That is true. Main, but that's positive. Main yes, character energy. Yeah, Kieran, same question for you. Yeah, I. Th- yeah, it's probably everything. Everything. Everything on social media. I try to remind myself is we already do it right. It's like we. It's it's only a manifestation of like qualities that people have already. Right. It's like it's like Facebook was used in Arab. Like Twitter was used in Arab Spring, and also you know for all of the nefarious purposes that we we know about. It can be both, right? And that's just a manifestation of who we are already being amplified. Um, so uh, follow me on social media, guys. Um, but you're funny. You add value. You both add – everybody here adds value. That's the thing. You're not just, like, adding dumb captions. Okay, let's take a quick break to all the main characters here. And when we come back – We are going to get to I Feel Petty.
And we're back. Before we get to what we're feeling petty about this week, a little bit of housekeeping. Philip Picardi's podcast, Unholier Than Thou, is back. Season two is all about the wisdom of everyday people falling down, getting up, and trying new things as they navigate re-entry into a new-ish world. Catch up on the first episode with Samita Mukdapadai, former editor of Teen Vogue, as she and Phil dive deep into the lessons of grief and how to rebuild relationships over time. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. And also, Samita is rad, so definitely tune in to listen to her. Alyssa, what are you feeling petty about this week? Okay, guys. So everybody knows, we know and love Monica Lewinsky. The All of her shows are out right now. Impeachment, 15 Minutes of Shame on HBO Max. And for my entire, I have to say, one show I have always truly enjoyed is The View. And I can't believe that last week, I mean, I haven't watched The View in quite a while for many reasons. <laughs> but I can't believe that last week, a table full of women sat around and were like, Let's talk about how Monica is profiting off of her own story. This was a real, this was two segments. This was like 15 minutes worth of airtime. There was a little, there was a little defense of Monica, but they were mostly like, if you want to stop hearing about the story, then you should stop putting the story in the news. And they were saying how she'd made millions and millions of dollars and gotten so rich off of the, off of uh, telling her story. And, like, I just – I have never been more offended by, like, a group of women in my entire life. Like, old women. Joy Behar specifically said she made fun of Monica back then, and she stands by her jokes. And <gasps> Joy. I just can't imagine all the things that we want to teach ourselves, and when we know better, we do better, and that, like, that was the takeaway. That she's oh, – that man. she is profiting off of her own story because, you know what, guys, is so much fucking better – when other people, specifically dudes, profit off of her story. Like, anyway, I just, it, it happened last week, but it has been, uh, it haunts my sleepless nights. You know, it reminds me of Amanda Knox. When yes. We got to talk to Amanda Knox on this show, and she's a person who uh, was, her, her claim to fame is being falsely accused of, a crime in this horrific way that mm -hmm. like ruined her life for years. And there are men that are out there making movies loosely based on and it. Oof, like that Matt Damon. Yes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> God. yeah, but like she spoke up and you know, she's taking charge of her life and her narrative and Monica is taking charge of her life and her narrative. And like, Ugh, I, I, that's so disappointing. After tw after 20 years, it's not even like she was there next day. Like, the only reason that she's doing this is because the narrative was taken away from her for right. so long that she's like, okay, I do kind of need to, like, set the record straight. It's not even a lemonade out of lemon. No, it's, it's like, like, this is my shit. This is laid. This is it. This is, I'm going to tell, <laughs> I'm going to tell what, yeah. what it, and she is uh, unabashed. And was Whoopi a part of it? No, no, <laughs> Whoopi was not okay, there. Okay, no. okay, okay. What right. did? What? Where was Whoopi? I don't know. She wasn't there that day. Not in any of the clips I saw. It was very joy focused. Okay. But, um, but no, I just couldn't. Uh, I couldn't believe it. And the funny thing is, too, is that if they actually knew anything about her or had watched the show or anything, listened to the TED talk, they'd know that she's like, yeah, I made a mistake. I used bad judgment, but I was twenty three. Get get uh, get joy on the pod. <laughs> get joy and Monica. I, just, on the pod I would much and let's have a reckoning I and call it the reckoning. <laughs> That's see. Speaking of pitting women against each other, that <laughs> is such a thing that I I love a lot of boomer women and not all boomer women, but a tendency that boomer women have 
is to decide to fight with the other woman in the scenario right. rather than p- place blame on the man. I'm sure Joy Behar isn't going to sit there and like soapbox about Bill Clinton abusing his power. That's and like which she didn't do back in 1997 or 1998. Even feminists nope. like Gloria Steinem were on Bill Clinton's side and were defending him because they saw it as part of a Republican conspiracy. But when people knew more. They said they said and did better. I've met her once, and she's very sweet and down to earth, and does not in any way seem like the schemer that these people no. are trying to make so her out to be. So uncool, ladies of the view. Very uncool. Um, and I don't think that's even petty. I think that's just shitty. No, the only reason but, it felt petty is because I like wait. I like I'm like ruminated on it for so long. Oh yeah, ruminating is a petty behavior right? for sure. Um, okay, so I'm I I have something I feel petty about. I feel petty about. Uh, kind of being like a, finding a little bit of happiness in the Chappelle's special thing. So uh, comedian Dave Chappelle put out a special on Netflix that is an hour and 10 minutes long. And 37 of those minutes, according to news reports, are devoted to having bad opinions about trans women. But not Caitlyn Jenner. But not Caitlyn Jenner. They're, they're, it's that much? It's 37 minutes? It's like 37 minutes of an hour and 10 minute special. I haven't watched the special, and here's why. Because I heard that this was on it. And I was like, here's here's what I feel petty about. I was like, oh, good. I don't have to watch that. <laughs> there's, already, there's already too much stuff out there that I haven't watched. I have a huge backlog. I'm on season three of The Sopranos now. Succession is about to come back. Like I've got I've, Squid Game. I've got so much to do, and I and I was like, and I had mentally been like, I got to get to this Chappelle's special because he's such a great stand-up. And when I found out about this, I was like, actually, I don't, and that is a real relief. I I think he stopped being funny kind of a while ago, and I do think that there probably is like a net worth, um, Barry. Like you reach a certain net worth where it's like you, we actually don't need specials from you anymore. Because I, I I think ages. I mean. I, Joan Rivers may be like the the outlier of that, but at the you George know Carlin maybe yeah towards the end she was doing Fashion Police you know like it was it was more commentary on on things in panel but it's like you're so you your thing used to be in in touch with what was happening and now you're so rich that you're so out of touch that it's like. You, nobody even cares about like this is such a weird right. hill to die on that you're so wrong about and Netflix is doubling down and keeping it up and I I have seen and know trans people that have worked for Netflix that have basically been like I will never work with them again yeah. um because of this it's but and, and another piece of this is like it's just weird it's at weird. this point like it's weird. Like, his fixation on trans women is, like, weird. Like, there's something happen- There's something happening in his brain that needs to be worked out that he's trying to work out on stage. And, and it's like, I don't know, man. Maybe go to therapy instead of making all of us listen to your nonsense. But anyway, but not me because I don't have to now because <laughs> I was like, oh, cool. And, you know, there are other – the good thing about the time of, like, all of the content that is happening is that I think that 
performers and creators have more power than they would have had if this was like 10 years ago. So your friends who are... Hilarious trans female comedians, Nori Reed, Robin Tran. I mean, and this is just in Los Angeles. Like, I don't even I don't even know everybody in New York still. Like, what what's disappointing is the framing has now become like, instead of watching Dave Chappelle, here's 11 trans comedians. It's like, why don't we just leave him out of here and let's just spotlight... Right funny comedians that happen to be trans. Right, exactly. I I totally agree. But yeah, this, I'm glad that I don't have to watch it. I have too much to watch. That's the the pettiest piece of this thing. There are obviously bigger issues. Both of you had very heavy petties. No, no, no. These these petties are heavy. They're heavy pets. Heavy pets, baby. (laughs) My petty is, I'm glad I don't have to watch this show that says incredibly offensive things because I read about them instead of watching it. Uh, I read Saeed Jones's piece about it, and I was like, great. I'm out. I'm out. Um, Megan, what are you feeling petty You know, I switched my petty at the last second um, because I did not, I think this news is being lost in all of the shitstorm that's happening in the NFL right now, but I did want to highlight that the Mississippi State Auditor is demanding that Brett Favre, I did pause so everyone could process this, that Brett Favre must return $828,000 that he illegally spent that was supposed to be allocated welfare funds. (laughs) What? So at some point... He took, and I don't know if it was in a PPE loan or at um, the this amount, this eight hundred twenty-eight thousand dollars was supposed to go to needy families, um, and instead he spent he spent it. But he is not amongst the six people that are facing criminal charges for a scheme. So he was part of a scheme that did this. Oh my god! Um, and he sucks so Wait, bad. Ineligible, He's so bad. Ineligible receiver. Wait, yes. Megan, was this the scheme that involved dentists? No. Separate scheme? No. Okay, okay so thank you. That scheme, that scheme was f- retired NBA players who were defrauding um, NBA, the NBA and insurance companies, and that one, I say, victimless crime. Okay? <laughs> yeah. It was like, it was like, lo- I'm like, yeah, steal from the, they were making up like fake chiropractor invoices. I'm like, yes, I love this big baby. <laughs> one of the men implicated is a man named Big Baby. Um, but this one, he's stealing from needy families in the state of Mississippi. And I do feel like if the Mississippi State Auditor is going after Brett Favre, like, he really fucked up. Because I think he could drive drunk through a school and they wouldn't arrest him. (laughs) Brett, you know what? This is going to be another bitchy opinion. Brett Favre seems real dumb. Oh, he sucks. Yeah, because he's been speaking. He seems so stupid. Yeah, he's been being a guest. He was a guest on, um, like, they featured him on Hard Knocks. He was on the Manning cast. He's dumb. Dude, I, I when I see Brett Favre talk, I'm like, can 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 you just get T- Tim Tebow in here or something? That's <laughs> wow. how dumb he is. Tim Tebow looks like a fucking Tony Romo compared to Wow. <laughs> Do you guys think but it's like if he's gotten as far as he has, even if he sounds dumb, it's like yeah. the argument is Kim Kardashian really that dumb if like she's you know what I mean? Like, well, he, Brett Favre doesn't have to use a, his brain. He's a quote unquote gunslinger. He's just a quarterback. Yeah. Gotcha. He's a great quarterback, but that's like uh, you know like when you're playing a video game and you can allocate different attributes to your character, you're like, they have this much agility, they have this much strength, but you get a hundred total points to allocate however you want between four attributes. 
Brett Favre's, all of his attributes are in quarterbacking. Mm-hmm. He has zero intelligence, zero speaking, but a hundred quarterback. Gotcha. So that's that's Brett Favre. And he steals money from welfare. And, and he is the perfect candidate of someone that probably believed Obama was giving out free cell phones. <laughs> you know, like, it's like, no, you're actually the one stealing from people. Yeah. But like, oh, yeah, I bet every opinion he has is terrible. I totally don't agree with the stick to sports mantra at all. Except for if your opinions are really fucking yeah. stupid. Yeah. And Brett Favre is one of them. It's just like, can you say less? Can you just say less? Mm-hmm. Just because- sell your jeans. Yeah. Send your dick to reporters that want it. Don't send it to people that don't want it. Right. And and get off our TV. Yeah. I have a funny story to tell you offline about the Brett Favre dick photo story. That girl's, I was- that girl's a comedian now. Yeah, she's yeah. she's funny and cool. Um, okay, Kieran, what are you feeling petty about? I mean, my God, these petties. The, the, the stakes are through the roof, you guys. Um, what do I have? I don't – listen, this is I'll, – I'll say this. I The idea that massages have to be sexual, um, I think there's this connotation in American culture that the massages – it's always like, ooh, sexy, sexy massage, sexy, 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 sexy. Sexy, sexy, sexy. That's how I think sex is. Um, <laughs> it's just people saying that a lot of times. So, what What the fuck? Like, I hate that. That's not – in, like, Indian culture, it's like your grandma or your grandpa will be like, hey, can you massage my legs? They hurt, you know? <laughs> or it's like my head in Asian cultures a lot. It's like massage is like a form of therapy for your body to feel better. And there's this very strange thing in American culture where I always feel like massage is – associated with sexy time and it's like sometimes you just want to work the knots <laughs> you get get rid of the knots in your body do you think it's because we're a very repressed culture and like having touch is something that we can't disentangle from it sexual seems arousal? that way i mean i don't you know I, look i'm not a scientist <laughs> <laughs> what <laughs> I don't know why, but I always remember thinking, that's so strange, mm-hmm. you know? I want to desexualize massage. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? That's why I, before pandemic, I used to love going to K-spas and getting the scrub from the women there who are very rough with you. It was just like... You just get scrubbed yes. the fuck down. Mm. There is nothing gentle about it. Sometimes they seem mad at me. It's like <laughs> I love it because at the end of it, it's like I received a service that did what I needed it to do, and there was absolutely no confusion. There was nothing tender about that. I enjoyed that. So maybe I don't know. Maybe I have the massage confusion confusion too because I hate professional massages because it's like weird to me to let someone touch me like that. Really? Yeah. How do you feel about them? Um, I definitely get massaged by a man that I'm very sexually attracted to. Wow. <laughs> guys, guys. This is the what this I'm is sorry. The, the, this is the comes this, to my home. Comes to my home. This is Ooh. I think my hill is very relevant. Uh, wow. No, you're right. You're correct. I'm just saying, um, but he's giant. You know, like he is rough. Yeah, he is oh, he's rough, rough with, with me. You, Megan. Um I'm yeah. not saying that. And that my, hus- my husband's seen him and been like, that is your type. You know, like that. <laughs> They're both defensive ends. You know, that's just what I'm into. I'm not saying that it's, like, bad to be sexually attracted to someone who gives you massage. I'm saying I don't think that massage exclusively has 
has to be sexual. hundred percent. You know? I hate when people, when a man goes and get a massage and, and the first question is like, yeah, happy ending. And it's like, that's insane to you me. You guys have also literally just proved my point. You're like, I get massaged by somebody very sexual. And you're like, well, when the Korean women treat me rough, that's okay. Because I don't respond Wait, well Kieran, to gentle touch from strangers. Kieran, I'm going to back Jesus. you up. I only get hot stone massages because I don't want them to actually touch me. <laughs> just, what am I dealing with? Where would, is Naomi Akari when you need her? I would love to live in a world where I, where that was not the assumption. I think that that's that's I think that's fair. Going in, the assumption doesn't need to be that it's going to be sexual. But if you're uncomfortable with that kind of touch, then I think that's fine too. Yeah, I mean, I get that you're, but it's like I, I think that is cultural. I think the I, it's the destigmatization of like touch doesn't have to be that way. Like my grandma was having like bad sciatica through her her thing, and it's like my mom and me would you would massage like not just her legs but her butt, you know, and just like an eighty five year old lady, you know, and it's fine. It's yeah. just a butt, you guys. It's just a butt. It's, it's just, just a, a butt. butt. I love a grandma butt. <laughs> on that note, on that note. She asked, hold on, this is great. She asked for me to take a picture of it so that she could see what it looked like on my cell phone. And then she looked at it and she goes, it looks kind of small, oh. doesn't it? Oh, wow. So, and then it's like, okay, you could delete it. She now. wants to be a video vixen. Oh. My mom was like, no, it fits your body. And she's like, okay. Main character syndrome <laughs> brought to you by Karen's grandma. Um, Megan and Kieran, thank you so much for being here. Alyssa, thank you for being a ride or die every week, this week, all the weeks. And thanks to all of you, the listeners. There will be more hysteria for you next week. I am from another planet. This nation's Janet. But these girls got a fan it. Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Rustin is our producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastromonaco is our co-producer, and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer, and our editor is Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Our digital team is Nar Melkonian, Mia Kelman, and Matt DeGroote. Thank you to Juliet Beckstrand for production support every week. <laughs> <laughs> 